Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it. I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. Today is Monday, November 15, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin on Filter Streaming Live on the Black Star Network. President Joe Biden signs one of his biggest achievements, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. We'll talk with Texas Congressman Al Green about the Build Back Better plan uh, right here. Also, why the continuing attacks against Vice President Kamala Harris? What's going on here? Hmm. We'll talk with Melody Campbell, President and CEO of the National Coalition on Black Participation about all of the drama going on and the targeting of this sister. 
The same Georgia defense attorney, or oh, the white guy in the trial of three white men uh, who was accused of killing Ahmaud Arbery, tried it for a mistrial today. Why? Because he wasn't happy that Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. was in the courtroom. Wait until we show you this nonsense that took place today in Georgia. And in Wisconsin, the judge presiding over the Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial dismisses the underage weapons charge and will allow the jury to consider the victims provoked their own shooting. A federal appeals court rejects Oklahoma death row inmate Julius Jones' appeal to stay his execution scheduled for Thursday. His only hope is for Governor Kevin Stitt, who is yet to grant Jones clemency. A black Texas teen was attacked with a stun gun by students dressed in KKK garb on Halloween. We'll talk with his attorney about what's going on in this case, plus a month of protesting. Now, the Blackburn takeover has ended at Howard University. We were at the exclusive live stream this morning of the Students News Conference. All right, folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. At the White House, as President Joe Biden signs his $1.2 trillion Build Back Better deal. Here is what took place at the White House. Yeah. Bravo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, this is a huge deal, of course, because um, it, it has been a contentious issue uh, back and forth uh, between uh, the White House uh, and folks on Capitol Hill. Uh, you had 13 Republicans, and of course, uh, who uh, went along with this deal in the, in the House. You had 19 Republicans who voted for the bill in the United States Senate. Republicans have been doing their part complaining, calling the signing of this bill literally communism. In a moment, we're going to hear from uh, President Joe Biden. Right now, I want to go to Texas Congressman Al Green, uh, who joins us right now. Congressman Green, glad to have you on the show. Uh, first and foremost, uh, this obviously is a huge deal. When you go through this and you look at uh, what's in the bill, uh, needed improvements to Americans' infrastructure, but what do you make of your colleagues, the Republicans, who continue to call this communism and socialism? and making threats. Uh, those 13 persons who signed on who are members of the House have uh, had uh, a good deal of misery imposed upon them. And this used to be, Roland, as you very well know, the kind of thing that we would coalesce around, compromise on, and produce a great piece of legislation for the American people. Unfortunately, things have digressed now to the point 
that if the Republicans do anything at all, that they should do anything to support a effort that can be attributed to Democrats, they're going to be ostracized and criticized. Uh, the politics has become so divisive that merely deciding you're going to do the right thing will uh, get you in the wrong position with uh, your party if you're a Republican. Very sad, but true. Yeah, but when you go through this, uh, when we're talking about roads, bridges, ports. Yes. We're talking yes. about we're talking about the infrastructure, the power grid. We're talking about all these yes. other things. I can guarantee you, these same Republicans are going to be lining up with their hands out, saying "me, me, 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 me" when it's time to distribute the money. And they will be at the ribbon cutting ceremonies. Uh, there's 65 billion dollars for broadband. Uh, we've got 110 billion dollars for these roads and bridges and other ports uh, that will be repaired, and some will actually be uh, enhanced by uh, doing more than creating structural, uh, repairing structural problems. So it's a lot of money involved in it uh, because the American Society of Engineers gave us a grade of D+. You can't have a first-class country with second-class infrastructure. So yes, they'll be there for the ribbon-cutting ceremonies, but I think we'll have a duty to say something at those ceremonies when uh, credit is being taken and ask, uh, how did you vote for it? That's going to be the key question for a good many who will show up. If you show up in my district, that's the question I'll be asking. How did you vote for it? Well, I'll tell you this here. Uh, if any of them show up at any ribbon-cutting ceremony, uh, it should be made perfectly clear, hey, uh, so-and-so's here, glad to see you. Y'all don't forget, he or she voted against this. I think you make a good point. I also think this, that... We have a responsibility to our constituents to make sure that they understand what's happening here. Uh, we are making progress for them. However, there is this desire, it seems, to be uh, to divert us to look at other social issues. Uh, people want us to vote based upon things that don't impact our lives on a daily basis. Bridges impact our lives daily whether or not you're going to vote for a person because they've supported uh, the abortion bill or not doesn't impact our lives on a daily basis. I, I, I support people doing what they want and having a choice when it comes to these issues like abortion, but I don't believe that we should allow this to become the seminal issue when it comes to an election because we have too many other things that are impacting our lives on a daily basis. This infrastructure bill is going to impact everybody in this country. There will be charging stations across the country. This is a first. Uh, the president has made it very clear that we're going to move into electric uh, cars, and, and that's a good thing because we cannot continue to pollute the atmosphere. In the Build Back Better, we have $555 billion to give us some sort of cleaning up of our environment. That's very important as well. So we can't let people divert our attention. This is going to be the effort divert us away from the good things that we do so that they can somehow maintain the power and dominance that they want for years to come. Uh, well, uh, it is uh, uh, quite uh, hilarious uh, to see them do so. Uh, we're going to continue talking about this, but I do want to get your comment. Uh, the 10th person has died uh, in the tragic case out of Astroworld. Uh, massive lawsuits uh, that are being filed. More than 100 lawsuits have been filed thus far. Uh, just your thoughts about uh, what has unfolded uh, in our hometown of Houston. Yes. Well, uh, we've sent prayers and our thoughts and our sympathies, but that is not enough. Lives have been lost. 
And somewhere along the way, we've got to do more than simply say we want them to have hope. They've got to have some help. Uh, people want closure. And to get to closure, we've got to know who knew or should have known this could take place. Somebody either knew or should have known this could happen. And we then need to know, was that person in a position such that that person could make a difference, could have prevented it? And once we find out who knew, should have known, could have prevented it, then we have to take some action because there has to be some redress for the people who have suffered the loss of loved ones. Ten people died, nine-year-old baby has died as a result of this, and it was a horrible death. So I, I'm grateful that you have kept this before the public because we want to not only make sure that it doesn't happen again in Houston, we don't want it to happen again any place in this country. Uh, we live in a country where we can avoid this. We have avoided it on other occasions. It's time to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And we may have to have, I say may, we haven't gotten there yet, a congressional investigation into this uh, if the scope of it seems to be national to the extent that other places may suffer if we don't act. All right, then. Congressman Al Green, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. I uh, look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. And happy birthday. All right, <laughs> folks. Yes, sir. Thank you so very much. Uh, folks, as I said, uh, President Joe Biden uh, spoke about uh, the importance of the $1.2 trillion bill. This is what he said earlier today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Heather, you thought you're surprised you're standing here. Jill is very surprised I'm standing here. Well, Heather, thank you for the introduction. And I can't look over here because the sun's shining in my eyes, but all this other crowd over here, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all you've done. Look, uh, thanks for sharing this day with us. Why this day matters to you and our fellow, your fellow iron workers and your families, and you explained it well. For all the folks at home, I know this day matters to you as well. I know you're tired of the bickering in Washington frustrated by the negativity, and you just want us to use and focus on your needs, your concerns, and the conversations are taking place at your kitchen table. Conversations as profound as they are ordinary. How do I find work? How do I get there? How can our small business thrive and our child succeed in school? Or how do we emerge from this pandemic, not just a little bit of breathing room, but with real fighting chance to get ahead. When we ran for president, at the help, I thought maybe I could help answer some of those questions for you and the needs you have. Because every time I'd ride home on Amtrak, I'd go through just north of, of uh, just south of Baltimore. I'd look out and go through a suburban neighborhood. I'd look in those, all those lights are on in the windows, Nance. And I'd look and I wonder, what are they talking about? I'm serious. I swear to God. What are they talking about sitting at that table? What are they talking about? They're talking about the things that I talked about at our kitchen table, Jill at hers, and all of you as well. And that's about how can we come together to be president for all Americans, to make sure our democracy delivers for you, for all of you. And I promise that we couldn't just build back to what it was before. 
we literally had to build back better. You couldn't build back. We're the only country that's always come out of great crises stronger than we went in. And the world has changed, and we have to be ready. My fellow Americans today, I want you to know we hear you and we see you. The bill I'm about to sign along is proof that despite the cynics, Democrats and Republicans can come together and deliver results. We can do this. We can deliver real results for real people. We see in ways that really matter each and every day to each person out there. And we're taking a monumental step forward to build back better as a nation. I want to thank everyone who helped make this happen. Vice President Harris, my cabinet members, my White House team, Jill, Doug, our first lady and our, our first lady and our second husband. No, I'm joking. <laughs> These guys travel all over the country together. I'm getting worried, you know. <laughs> and Doug's one hell of a lawyer besides. And everybody from the United States Senate, Majority Leader Schumer, and a group of Senate Democrats and Republicans who established this bipartisan framework, including representatives and all the folks you heard from. Senator Rob Portman is a really hell of a good guy. I, I'm not hurting you, Rob, because I know you're not running again. That's the only reason I say it. But you are a hell of a good guy. And the most determined woman I know, Senator Kristen Sinema. Congratulations, Kristen. Look, Committee Chair Tom Carper, Ranking Member Shelley Moore Capito. I also want to thank Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for voting for this bill and talking about how useful and important it is. And from the House of Representatives, Speaker Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, and Committee Chair Pete DeFazio, Democrats and Republicans, progressives and moderates, I'd like to pause and ask all the committee chairs and ranking members of the United States Senate and House who are here today, please stand. Will all of you stand? Come on. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Pound, thank Dr. Omakongo Dabinga, professorial lecturer, School of International Service at American University. Tammy Allison uh, is the partner. She's a uh, part attorney. And Eugene Craig, CEO, X Factor Media Inc. Glad to have all three of you here. Eugene, you see uh, Biden there touting the bipartisan uh, effort there of the bill. As I said to Congressman Al Green, you have Republicans who are running around yelling socialism and saying, oh my God, this is communism. I, were they calling it communism when Trump was proposing a $2 trillion infrastructure bill last year? I, I didn't realize repairing America's bridges uh, and ports and uh, dealing with lead pipes is now communism. Look, um, <laughs> as you see, whenever parties change power, uh, so do priorities, right? And it's easy to attack from the outside. Um, so look, Roads are crappy. Bridges are failing. Airports needs up. Airports need updating. And uh, you know, and to be quite frank about it, 1.2 trillion dollars may not be enough to actually get the job fully done, but it's a good start. Um, you know, Americans every single year, you know, spend upwards of five, six hundred bucks, you know, just on wheel alignment alone because of potholes from bad roads. Um, when you have over half your bridges are, you know, deficient um, when it comes to actually just sustaining themselves, um, you know, what what Republicans going to one, you move to action once that bridge is actually falling over and mass casualty events. No, you know, it's the federal government's job to prevent those things and actually prepare these bridges or replace them. 
Um, and so, you know, this, this, is a, this is a big bill. Um, it affects a lot of different, almost every American life. It affects a lot of different sectors. Um, and, and, you know, it's a good start. Uh, I do get a kick out of uh, the folks uh, who whine and complain uh, on the Congo, but trust me, their hands are going to be out begging to get some of uh, this money. Billions of dollars are going to be spent uh, in uh, local communities nationwide. I mean, look, Mitch McConnell didn't even wait to the signing today. Last week, he was calling it a godsend, right? And they're already out there claiming that this is what they brought. And this is part of Biden and the Democrats' challenge, because we know, like, 40, 45 percent of America is already gone in terms of they're caught up in conservative media and Fox and all of that. They didn't watch a ceremony today. The, the Democrats have to be strong on the messaging. They have to go out into all these rural communities. I think you mentioned this last week, you know, put a big old sign up saying that this is brought to you by President Biden and Vice President Harris so that people will know, because every single day, these Republicans, they've already done it. They're going to milk it. And when they start seeing broadband coming into these rural areas, the schools starting to be improved, they need to know that there's a Democratic face on, on top, in, in front of it. And furthermore, they need to get this messaging out and they need to get the, the next part of the Build Back Better plan passed as well, because as Malcolm Nance talks about, we got a Republican insurgency that has to be dealt with. So we can celebrate today and we can talk about all things that we need to be doing, but they need to get this out of the way so we can get the voting rights out of the way so they can fight these Republicans who are still unified and trying to take over this government. And we have to make sure that the messaging on all of this is very clear from the, for the Democrats. Uh, and Tammy, messaging is critically important. And so what the Democrats do in order to sell this bill uh, is really going to be vital. Absolutely. And as someone who recently ran for the U.S. House of Representatives here in Texas District 6, I understand how important it is for the Democrats to phrase this victory strategically as we're coming up on names getting on the ballot for the primaries that are coming up. I think that the bipartisan effort is something that the Democrats are going to have to very much focus on to eliminate this very strong divisiveness that we've seen. And I think that both the Democrats and Republicans are kind of over the extreme arguing between the Democrats and the Republicans. So to be able to say confidently that this bill was passed with bipartisan support is very crucial for the Democrats to strategically take over and turn some of these districts and states blue that we've been seeing have not been able to be done in the past. Um, look, that does indeed uh, matter. Uh, I do want to bring in Melanie Campbell. She's with the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation. Uh, she joins us right now. Um, Melanie, glad to have you here. Uh, the White House offered up a number of African Americans today uh, for interviews uh, to tout this particular bill, to tout uh, its passage. Um, messaging is important. How must this be talked about uh, on black radio, in the streets, uh, in various communities? Uh, because you'll have those who say, look, we're not going to benefit from this. It's going to be uh, large white construction companies that are going to actually uh, make money uh, from this. And so uh, what must be done to ensure that we, African-Americans, are getting our fair share? Uh, thank you, Roland. Uh, I first, first of all, I think we need to declare and understand that we may, we help make that happen. Uh, those resources, those public sector resources, those public works resources. Um, I know there's a challenge when it comes to construction, but also you're talking about 
uh, the kinds of jobs that would be created. There were a lot of mayors mm -hmm. there today for a reason. Mm -hmm. I worked for the late Mayor uh, Jackson administration many years ago. And um, so you had folks, uh, the mayor of, of Houston and, and Chicago and in and, and small towns as well, because uh, they know that those are real resources that can come into our communities that will be real good paying jobs. And we're in construction too. We have black construction companies. We And there's a lot that goes with those kinds of resources that creates jobs. It may not all be on the on the front line of, of, of putting the pipes down, but it's going to be those, those those engineering firms, all of the things that create jobs, and we have to know that we that's and which is why I wanted to to be there today because we've been out here pushing. Is that Build Back Better plan has two parts to it, and one thing Vice President uh, uh, um, Harris said today is this, uh, this is part one of two. Uh, you heard a lot of that being said by Schumer and others that this is this is part of. Uh, this uh, initial down payment on quote unquote build back better. So I think it's important that this administration make sure that uh, I heard my sister and brothers are talking about you know, those those that you want to try to bring along, but the people who are your base need to know that this was a victory. And so it was very important. I saw people from across the country uh, that some of our people were here, even from um, from, from Michigan, uh, that were in town for it. So that's that's the part of that messaging has to be to the base to know that this is this is important and this is going to bring resources to our community um, as well. Um, prior to uh, President Biden speaking, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, spoke. I wanted to uh, play what she had to say uh, as well. Please welcome Heather Kurtenbach. In a moment. <laughs> Please have a seat. President Joe Biden. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Cabinet members, Congress members, governors and mayors, and, and my fellow Americans, this is an historic day. In the middle of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln started construction on the Transcontinental Railroad. In the middle of the Great Depression, President Franklin Roosevelt finished construction on the Hoover Dam. President Dwight Eisenhower signed the National Interstate and Defense Highways Act in the middle of the Cold War. And today, and today, President Joe Biden will sign the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act into law. Indeed, is an historic day today. From the very start of our administration, we were determined to follow through, not just on our promise to invest in our nation's infrastructure, but on the promises that the American people have heard for years now. And we would not be here today were it not for your leadership, Mr. President. From the very start, you welcomed Democrats, independents, and Republicans to meet with us in the Oval Office. You welcomed ideas. You welcomed debate, all in the service of getting this bill done. And here is what I know to be true, Mr. President. You are equal parts believer and builder. 
And because you are, we are all better off. On behalf of our nation, thank you, Mr. President. And of course, our administration did not arrive at this day by ourselves. We are also here because of leaders in the House and the Senate who worked on this bill together, who voted for this bill. And we are here because of the millions of Americans who believed that we could get this done. Well, we got it done, America. <laughs> we got it done. In many ways, this day embodies our character as a nation. It demonstrates exactly who we are. We are believers through and through. We see what can be unburdened by what has been. We are as bold as we are determined to do big things. The Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act proves that. It proves that in America, we have the courage to believe a better future is possible and to build it together. After this bill is signed into law, millions more Americans will go to work in good paying, good union jobs. Americans like Jovan Johnson, a carpenter I met in Nevada, who said that she has, quote, built her career on infrastructure and fed her family on infrastructure. Americans like Jeff Bird, a line design technician I met with in New Hampshire. He attaches fiber to utility poles to keep up with the demand for high-speed internet. Or Leslie Kilgore, an engineer I met with in North Carolina, whose team is building electric school buses. Or Walter Cody, a construction inspector with whom I met, who is working to get clean water to families in California. This will be a nationwide effort, the likes of which we have not seen in a generation. It will make our country more competitive, and it will deliver on our nation's and our administration's commitment to equity. Now, this bill, as significant as it is, as historic as it is, is part one of two. to lower costs and cut taxes for working families, to tackle the climate crisis at its core, Congress must also pass the Build Back Better Act. <clears throat> the work of building a more perfect union did not end with the railroad or the interstate, and it will not end now. So on this historic day, let us all continue to believe in our people, believe in our country, and believe in what we can do when we work together. Thank you all. May God bless you, and may God bless America. Well, for all the people out there who have been reading these nonsensical stories uh, attacking Vice President Harris, saying, oh, she's disappeared, um, 
there you go. Um, let me speak to that for a second, and I'm, I'm going to go to Melanie, I'm going to go to my panel as well, because I need everybody to understand uh, what is going on here. We are not even at year one in the administration of Biden and Harris, and already uh, there have been stories in the Los Angeles Times, in Politico, uh, numerous stories in Politico, now this CNN story over the weekend, how there's this massive dysfunction and how uh, the White House uh, is tired of Vice President Harris and her staff, and her staff was not trusting of the White House. Here's what should be happening. Ron Klain, who is the chief of staff to President Biden, needs to squash this. This is where the chief of staff calls his folks together and say, cut the bullshit. The last thing that needs to be happening right now are all of these stories that are circulating that are attacking the vice president. You see the poll numbers, uh, 28% that people are saying, oh my God, lowest ever. And now you see the Washington Post, they're touting Pete Buttigieg. You're talking about a cabinet member who is far down the totem pole and folks are saying, oh, Maybe they should replace Harris with him in 2024. If the people who are in the White House and the people who used to work for Kamala Harris can't shut their damn mouths, well, then you know what? Y'all are going to make it real easy for Republicans to win in 2024. And for every single person who's in the White House who keeps talking about, oh, what's going to happen in 2024, you need to be focusing on 2022 before you start focusing on 2024. And let me, and I said this here, uh, and then you had this uh, idiot, Glenn Grenwall, uh, you know, who pretty much is nothing but, uh, you know, uh, if you want to see him talking, uh, all you got to do is just watch Tucker Carlson uh, with his nonsense. He actually uh, took exception uh, to a tweet that I sent out uh, today. Uh, he, uh, he, his exception was that uh, if you want to see what's happening uh, with uh, the Democratic Party. So what happened was uh, uh, M Michael Harriet uh, actually had tweeted something out saying uh, that, um, you know, you're going to see uh, potentially uh, the Democrats trying to replace um, uh, Harris with Buttigieg. And, and I actually responded. Uh, to that particular tweet. Let me, let me find it right now uh, because I just want to show you what's going on here and see, you need to understand what's happening here. If people did not somehow see Vice President Harris as a threat, you would not have the constant attacks on her. And that's exactly what you're seeing. It's constant, one after the other, one after the other. They're portraying her as being a doofus, somebody who's clueless, uh, someone who doesn't know uh, what's going on, uh, all of that, okay? So, you, you know, those are the things that, that, that you are seeing that actually takes place. And, and, and the reason this really is, is important is because clearly there are people who are afraid of her for some reason. Remember all the attacks that took place when she was running for office? Remember how it was when the, the troll farms that were specifically castigating her, tearing her apart, uh, ripping her to shreds? Y'all do remember that taking place. So now all of a sudden, you have more of this. Now all of a sudden, it's, oh, she's not up for the job. And then the one that really keeps, uh, just got me just hilarious, got me laughing is, oh my goodness, she's disappeared. 
how has she disappeared when she's literally been involved in numerous meetings? President Biden has talked about the role that she played in the Build Back Better plan dealing with Congress. She just got back from France, a very successful trip. Uh, here's, I found, here's a tweet uh, right here. So, uh, Michael Harrod had tweeted, they've been a leapfrog Pete Buttigieg over Kamala Harris. Watch. I responded, if the Democrats want to see a black female revolt, go ahead and try this. You're guaranteed to lose. So this idiot Glenn, Gren Glenn, Glenn Greenwald goes, Democratic Party politics in two tweets. Well, actually, it's right, Glenn. Because, see, I'm telling y'all right now, and this is for all the folks in the White House and the folks who used to work for Vice President Harris who keep running their miles. The last group y'all want to piss off are black women. There is no group that is more aligned with the Democratic Party than black women. Nobody. Not black men, not white women, not white men, not Latino men, not Latino women, not Asian, not Asian men, women, Native Americans, uh, folks who are Jews, Christians. I, mean, I can go down every single group. There is no group that's more in line with the Democratic Party than black women. But if y'all try to sabotage the first black female vice president, that's not going to vote well for sisters. Now, you got people out there who say, oh, well, black folks don't really uh, like Kamala Harris. People hate Kamala Harris. All right, go ahead and mess around and see what happens. Because your margin for error right now ain't that great. And I'm telling you right now, play this game, and you're going to wake up and see what happens. Because, see, here's the deal. It don't take 30% of black women for you to lose, walking away. It don't take 20. It doesn't take 10. It doesn't take five. If the Democrats lose just 3% of black women by trying to screw with Vice President Harris, y'all DOA. So go ahead and play the game if you want to. Melly, I want to bring you in because... Again, as somebody's been around politics, you see these stories. You, you're, you, of course, you're the uh, convener of the Black Women's Roundtable. And it's like every two months, it's another story. Dysfunction. Oh, my goodness. She's lost. She's disappearing. We don't know what's going on. I follow the White House Twitter feed. I follow hers. I see photos. I see videos. I see all sorts of things. I see uh, actions she's taking. But here's the other deal. It ain't like I saw Joe Biden all over the place when he was Obama's vice president for eight years. Hell, I can't, I can't even remember how many times Obama would have Biden standing at his side when he gave speeches or even speaking before him. I've seen more of that under Biden with Harris than I saw with Obama and Biden. What do you take of these constant attacks trying to portray Vice President Harris as being utterly clueless? Um, Roland, I'm going to say everything you said in these last few minutes, ditto, ditto, ditto. Now, when it comes to how this, some, the, some in the media are attacking her, that's one of the reasons I was, uh, one of the people who was, I was with today was Joe Taker Edie with Win With Black Women. That's why we got together around Win With Black Women when they were attacking all, not just uh, uh, 
now Vice President Harris, but all the black women who were up for consideration for um, uh, vice president just last year, right? So, the, and, and understanding how women are attacked, but um, trust and believe black women are paying attention and are going to push back. And we got to push back in a systemic way as well, Roland, because at the end of the day, uh, we have to go have conversations with some of these uh, media, media folks, uh, uh, conglomerates. Uh, what is going on really uh, with these attacks? Um, now, at the end of the day, we can support and challenge at the same time. We want this administration to do more. That's why we are here continuing to fight for voting rights. We're continuously fighting uh, for Build Back Better and other uh, policy priorities. And, and, and we will continue to do that. But also we know when, um, when the game is, is not even the word fair is strong enough. But when there is a, an attack, the attack on her in the way that it's going, it's an attack on black women. It's an attack on us owning our power. And so I tell sisters uh, what they're doing with us, uh, trying to do to Vice President Harris is an attack on black women asserting our power, not just for ourselves, but for our communities. So it's also up to us to push back on what we're seeing uh, with some of the things that are going on with the media. The attacks, the words, code, words matter. And you hear enough. Remember what they did to, to, to Hillary Clinton over the, over the, over time, and so people look up and they don't even. And then our own people will be the ones uh, parroting some of this stuff, and, and and not being able to understand that they're being manipulated. And so, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm glad you brought up the Hillary Clinton point because I need people to understand when a media narrative gets established and it gets set in stone. It is very hard to shake loose of that. That dogged Hillary Clinton in both of her presidential runs, when she was U.S. Senator, when she was Secretary of State, and was always there. And there seems to be a very clear game plan here. Again, here we are, we're 10 months in, and already we've seen four or five major stories. She comes off of this huge... Uh, trip to France, and then folks like, oh, it barely caused the ripple. Well, here's the question, mainstream media, did you cover it? Did you cover it? So, it, it, don't say, well, it barely caused the ripple if you didn't even cover it. Um, Roland, I tell you, and we all have to fight back against this narrative. I, I, I as a black woman, and you said it, I've been in this a long time, and I've seen it and what's going on with her is an attack on making sure that she or any other black woman or any other woman of color or any other woman thinks that they can be in, in position of power. She's one sneeze away from being the president of the United States. And the attacks that I saw, uh, one of the, I think it was CNN, one of them, uh, yesterday, it was really appalling. Even some of the commentary was off uh, off the mark. Um, and, uh, and again, Unfair is not even the word. It is a it is a systemic attack, and we have to push back on that. At the same time, this is one president at a time. She's not the president of the United States. She is the vice president of the United States. So she is also there as a partner on, on this administration. And so whether whether her numbers are a little bit lower than his, now they're all low right now because they've got to get more done. That's just the reality. And so... Well, absolutely. Um, and so, again, uh, I just want our uh, viewers and listeners to understand what is at play here. These stories are being dropped for a reason. And again, this is where the White House, uh, damn the tweets sent out last night 
affirming their support. No, this is where the White House chief of staff calls the staff together and say, shut the hell up. Focus on the work. You do not form a circular firing squad against our own. And that's what Ron Klain needs to do. Yeah, and... and they have to do what, need, do what they need to do on the inside, and we have to also put the pressure from the outside. Yep. Melanie Campbell, we sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I'm going to go take Thank a break you. right now. I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about this with my panel. And one of the things that I want to talk about is that the White House, in terms of the vice president's staff, they need to have her far more aggressively talking to black media. I will unpack and explain when we come back on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Bishop T.D. Jake. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back. Let's continue our conversation uh, in terms of uh, all of these different attack ads and these, these stories in the attacking <laughs> Vice President Kamala Harris. Um, here's something that also has to happen, and I've made this perfectly clear uh, to this White House as well. H how in the world you have Vice President Kamala Harris and she does not have a regular presence with black media? Now, let me explain that, folks. One, you always shore up your base, and that is you're communicating with your base. What this White House should be doing, they should, they should ensure that she is the lead person who is talking to black radio, to black TV. What I mean by that is, you take the nationally syndicated radio shows. Look, I spent, what, 11 years, 13 years um, with Tom Jones Morning Show. Every three months, Vice President Harris should be on Steve Harvey Show, Ricky Smiley Show, Doug Parr Show, Joe Madison, Erica Campbell Show, should be on D.L. Hughley Show, uh, should be on these nationally syndicated radio. Now, 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 I get the strategy of having her on local radio stations in these markets. 
but black people should be hearing from her on a regular basis. Now, y'all remember, I said this which after she became the United States senator and then uh, in the 2016 election. I said that she and Senator Cory Booker should have been doing this here. I said one of the reasons why they were not as well known among African-Americans across the country is because they didn't do this when they were in the United States Senate. Obama wasn't going to speak everywhere, but you should do that. Now, let me take y'all back to something because y'all may not realize this. The day before he was inaugurated, President Obama was on the Times Journal Morning Show. I was at Ben's Chili Bowl. We were live there, and I remember the conversation. Y'all realize that Obama did not come back on the Tom Jordan Morning Show until 18 months later? Yeah. He had done an interview with Brian Williams for NBC on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And I sent an email to Valerie Jarrett saying, how in the hell has he been president in all of 2009, and here we are in, uh, into September 2010, and he has yet to come back on the Tom Jordan Morning Show? I said, when y'all gonna come home? Y'all, this actually happened, okay? So, so let, let me further unpack this, okay? I need you to understand, because y'all might not realize what happened here. I said, we've had Michael Steele on Tom Jonah more during the Obama presidency than Obama. Y'all think I'm lying? Go back, and so the next week, he was on Tom Jonah. Then Deed Steve, Joe Madison. But go back and listen, if you can, to pull that interview he did with Tom Joyner, where he apologized for not coming back. See, always come home and talk to your base. Because if you don't keep your base informed, then you're going to have a bigger problem than everybody else. The thing here, uh, Omakongo, and to Eugene and Tammy, is people have to understand this is politics. And if you don't, lock down your base and keep them informed, you're not going to have folk there to have your back when you need them. That part. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's really sad. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I hear you talking about it every week, and then every time you say it, I start to go and look at all of the other shows you mentioned. And no presence whatsoever. And I'm thinking about the people like Simone Sanders and Cameron Jean-Pierre who are involved with, with her. And how this message is not getting across is very problematic because we haven't seen Harris or, or Biden since the campaign. And you have to, and there's also an ecosphere out there where some aspects of black media or people who are involved in black media, I'm thinking of shows like The Breakfast Club and the like, are, you know, putting out other stories. I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally, but, you know, they ask questions that can make some of their listeners doubt what, what, what's going to happen as it relates to Vice President Harris and some of their policies and the like. And she should be showing up in all of these areas. Like I said before, Sean Hannity has, pres has former President Trump on speed dial. President Trump, when he was president, even he was running for office, he, you know this, Roland, he was calling local AM stations, terrestrial radio, giving these guys a platform. Why is this administration not doing this? At the end of the day, you see that black, many black people I'm speaking to and listening to, they're starting to get a little bit turned off with the administration, particularly over things relating to these voting rights. And slowly but surely, if they don't take advantage of the great opportunity that they have with black media platforms, people are going to start to think that they are not fully interested in us. Because when I hear her on other stations and local interviews, I don't really feel like she's talking to me. 
But when she comes here and when she comes to these other platforms, I know that there's a message for me. And going in, look, 2022 and 2024 is the Democrats to lose. It's they, they, they can lose this. They got to get strict with the messaging and they got to, like you said, come back home to black outlets because we are where it's at and we are going to magnify their message. But if we don't know, we can't show. Now, now Tammy, I need people to understand here. <laughs> I'm not sitting here, man, why is she not coming on my show? <laughs> I am speaking of a broader messaging strategy that has to be consistent. And so here you have this $1.2 trillion bill that's being passed. Who should be the person that the White House is sending to communicate this to black America? It should not be mayors. It should not be um, uh, mem the CBC members. In, in fact, I, I got an email to... Let me see if I can pull it up. I got an email today, and, and, and I understand, again, I understand messaging. But this is what, this is what, um, let me see if I can pull it up. We were offered a series of uh, names to talk about, to do interviews today. And I totally get it because the bill was being signed today. Okay? And uh, this is it right here. They offered up uh, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta, Mark Morial, National Urban CEO of National Urban League and former mayor of New Orleans. Ron Busby, president of the U.S. Black Chambers, Inc. After Barbara Williams Skinner, president of the National Black Clergy Network. Totally get that. I agree with this. What I am saying, now that the bill is being signed, there should be a clearly defined black media strategy, a Latino media strategy, alongside your mainstream media strategy so your stakeholders are getting the information directly from someone who is high up in the administration and why not make it the vice president? Absolutely, Roland. And there's so much to unpack. I don't want to like <laughs> go too deep, but as a black woman attorney as well, you know, we talked about with Melanie, you know, the attacks that um, she's going through right now and the in-house fighting between the president and the vice president's camp. But like in real life, like I'm kind of happy that it's happening because what it's doing is it's showing the world. It's highlighting what happens to most black women in any profession where no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how many credentials we have, no matter what we do, we are still ignored. As you stated, she just came back from France and you know there's barely any coverage on that, but then people want to cover the, the inner turmoil in the White House between her camp and, and um, the president's camp and, you know, her former staff talking. Like, why highlight the drama? Because black women are typically seen as being, you know, angry and, and dramatic and all of that. So to that, you know, I think that your point of her having more opportunities to speak to underrepresented groups, black people, brown people, to be the voice to be on these types of platforms, to deliver the message where she can kind of address that, not necessarily like hitting the nail on its head and putting a flashlight on the bias that we already know exists, right, as a black woman in her place, but she can, she can make points to where the base, as you stated, understands 
what is so important so they can continue to vote so that they can we can win 2022 and 2024 while simultaneously addressing the inherent bias that she's continuing to face. And yes, while a lot of black women feel a certain kind of way about this vice president, at the end of the day, like you said, one thing about black women that are Democrats, we play that game like the GOP where we gonna stick together now. We, we gonna put our strategy together and put our feelings aside in order to see the party win and move forward strongly so that we can turn these red districts blue and turn these red states blue because that's the end goal. The end goal is to reform so that we can finally have some type of equal playing ground. But as you stated, she's going to have to speak up. And whenever she speaks up, she needs some media training because it don't be given what it's supposed to have gave when she talks. They're not feeling it. Well, the thing here, Eugene, again, when you hear, oh, my God, she's in hiding. First of all, that's not true. But there, 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 there should be a media strategy. Look, you use the vice president for a lot of stuff the president can't do. Media is a part of it. Now, she went on The View. Wasn't her fault. They screwed up with, with, with the testing uh, and it was a false positive and that's destroyed the whole show, whatever. But there should be a serious media strategy. And what I'm laying out is one that should be consistent. That way she's out there, she's talking these things up and people are hearing from her on a regular basis. This is not about protecting her. It's about actually having a, a consistent message that people are getting so you're not sitting here having these, these yahoos in Virginia go, oh, I really want somebody who's going to focus on education, you know, and our kids in COVID, and that's what the White House has been doing, and it was more than Trump folks did, but they voted for Youngkin uh, over the Democrat. Look, it's, it's a couple things to unpack here, right? I think first and foremost, um, the advisors that are in uh, the president's orbit that are calling the shots here, because that's what this comes down to a lot of times, is, 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 is folk that are deputy to Ron Klain, right? That are calling a lot of these shots, that are creating a lot of this friction and tension, that are, you know, at least creating a perception that, uh, that the vice president's missing in action. The first thing needs to be understood is that, you know, the portfolio the vice president has is one that the president gives her. Um, the, the flexibility to do what she needs and do what she wants and do what she has to all comes from the authority of the president, right? Um, so, so that's the first thing that needs to be established. Next is this, right? Um, this White House better get it together. Um, you know, because what it's coming across is that, hey, this White House staff doesn't care about black people. Um, you know, at, at the point in time, you can't have an asset as valuable as Kamala Harris, you know, somebody that's a two-term AG, a United States senator elected statewide, now the first African-American vice president of the United States, on your, as, as, your, as your prime asset, and you don't properly deploy, deploy her and empower her to do what's necessary to win, right? So, so that, that's what's coming across here. And it's the same mistake that the Obama administration made. You know, the, 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 the legacy of Barack Obama's team, you know, and largely over the time, a white team, white advisors surrounding you know, the first black president and disengaging from black America is that, hey, in the 2010 midterms, yeah, the House flipped, but you know what happened before that? Chris Christie got elected in deep blue New Jersey, and then what happened after that? You lost a thousand seats at the state and local level, you know, because black voters either decided to cross over in some margin or stayed home. You know, and that became, and that was, that's, a, that's part of the legacy of the Obama era of disengaging from the black community. So if the Biden administration wants to repeat that and having the asset of Kamala Harris that can go into any district, any state, make any argument, one of the brightest legal minds this country has ever seen, 
Um, that, that, that's the mistake they're going to make. But, you know, they, they, they should be spending much less time. Gucci spending much less time figuring out what's going to happen in 2024, especially if they decide they want to place her with the white guy. Um, then they need to be focused on what happened in 2022, I like getting voting rights done, I like getting the George Floyd Justice Act done, I like getting, you know, the ec more, another economic package done. If, they, if they're serious about even being able to do anything beyond 2022. You know, on Macongo, I'll give, give you a perfect example that, again, I don't understand what the hell this White House is doing. There's a black woman who is the head of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Her name is Dr. Cecilia Rouse. Now, if y'all watch Roller Martin Unfiltered, y'all have seen her on this show. Last week, I sent an email to the White House. No, I sent an email to her. Said, hey, love to have you on. <laughs> Boom. Got it done. Recorded the interview. We had it on the show. No issues. Yesterday, I see this clip, and one of the other White House economic advisors was on Jake Tapper's show. First thing I said is, why y'all not putting a sister out who is the head of the White House Council on Economic Advisors? Let me give y'all another thing that y'all don't realize. She was a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. They signed the stimulus bill. I'm, I'm, I need y'all to understand, this actually happened. I kept asking the Obama White House Send somebody to me, black, to talk about the stimulus bill. They eventually sent me some brother who was like deputy secretary of HUD. I was like, what? Y'all, no, y'all, straight up true story. We are at Congressional Black Caucus Foundation ALC Phoenix Awards dinner. And I'm talking to my man, my golf buddy, former mayor of Dallas, then the trade ambassador, under Obama, Ron Kirk. Ron says, Roland, man, you got to meet this bad sister, Cecilia Rouse. I said, who is she? He said, she's one of Obama's White House Council of Economic Advisors. I said, say what? He said, yeah. He said, man, you got to meet her. We walk over. We meet. I said, hold up. You been in the White House all this time? <laughs> all this time? <laughs> I ain't seen you on TV nowhere. I got to have you on my show. She was like, love to come on. Y'all had her on the show. I want y'all to Google Cecilia Rouse. C-E-C-I-L-I-A. R-O-U-S-E. What you would discover during the Obama administration, she did my TV One show more than any other show. I was like, why y'all not putting this brilliant woman out? Here we have been having economic conversations, a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. These discussions about inflation, discussions about the supply chain. I don't understand why the White House is not putting this brilliant black woman out. And all of a sudden, if you're watching, if you black, be like, yo, damn. That's a, she is the head of the White House Council on Economic Advisors. You can't tell me she, she's afraid to do TV when she's done my show numerous times. This is what I'm talking about, Omicongo. It's like, what the hell are they thinking over at the White House? 
I, I don't think they are thinking. And you, you know what, actually? Let, let me rephrase that. I think that similar to what we've talked about with Youngkin and education, there's this idea of, like, appealing to, like, you know, white suburban moms and so on and so forth. I feel like the Biden administration still acts as if they have to appeal to a white suburban demographic, even though white people haven't voted majority for for, for a Democratic candidate since the Voting Rights and Civil Rights Act of the 60s. And they keep playing to that audience. So that explains exactly what we're talking about as it relates to CNN. And look, we have to understand that when you have sisters like that, when you have sisters like Vice President Kamala Harris, there's another dark group that we need to talk about here right now. Black men, right? Black men came out in large numbers during the last election. We know not in the same numbers as, as black women, but, but fairly high. And I think that brothers also need to see people like Ralph sitting down with you and Joe Madison and the like, so they can start to see that how y'all interact with her and, and, and understand that, that she's cool and she's down. Because we know that once these Republicans and the Fox networks of the world start to get hold of these stories about dysfunction, in the White House, between Harris and Biden, they are going to start to amplify it and amplify it and amplify it, that messaging that you're talking about, and start feeding these stories. And you're going to have some brothers out there who might see that and start to be like, well, dang, maybe she ain't really about it, right? And so if they don't take advantage of this messaging, again, 2022, 2024 is there to lose. Isn't the brother who runs the, isn't the person who runs the EPA a brother as well? The Biden administration needs to stop being timid about putting black faces out there. Like you absolutely said, he does a great job of putting Vice President Harris out there in terms of speaking before he speaks and the like, but they need to come home to our networks so we can see them on a regular basis and decide for ourselves what they're about. Because if not, there are too many other narratives, like you said with Hillary Clinton, that are already forming that are going to be used to work against her. I'm trying to tell y'all. Um, all right, I gotta go to a break. We come back. I'm gonna talk with the attorney of a young, a young ch a black kid. What uh, these white kids wore KKK costumes for Halloween, and nobody did nothing. Really? We'll unpack next. The Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. <laughs> Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. Feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with feeling Prime One Day Delivery, myself. and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packard. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin 
on foot. Fifteen-year-old Kadeja Lindsay was last seen on October 4, 2021. The teen has been missing from Rockford, Illinois. She's five foot three uh, inches tall, weighs 160 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. She has a nose ring. If you have any information about uh, Kadeja Lindsay, please call the Rockford Police Department at 815-966-2900, 815-966-2900. On Friday, I shared with you a story about a black teen in Woodsboro, Texas, who claims he was shot with a stun gun by a group of his white classmates dressed up as KKK members for Halloween. Well, what's really going on with this story? Matthew Manning is the teen's attorney. Uh, he hails from Corpus Christi, uh, Texas. He joins us right now. Matthew, glad to have you on the show. So what happened here? What, so was this at school? Was this in the neighborhood? And these were white teens wearing KKK costumes? Yeah, let me clarify, Roland, and let me first say I'm really honored to be here with you this evening, brother. Uh, but basically, this was a group of students who targeted my client on Halloween night who were dressed in KKK outfits. It was a group of people that uh, some had KKK outfits on and others didn't, and it was a group of Hispanic and white teens. Um, but he was tased by one of them after they accosted him, and we're here talking about it because as unfathomable as it is, it nonetheless happened in 2021. So when, when I was made aware of the case by one of my other clients, I immediately went to social media, started investigating it as much as I can as a you know, non-law enforcement officer. And citizens came out and gave me information, and we were able to break the story open and really make sure that law enforcement looked at this the way they should. So, um, okay, so where did this take place? Was it in a neighborhood? Was it at a party? What, what was the actual setting? Sure. So it took place in a neighborhood on a residential street, which I visited yesterday, as a matter of fact. And what happened is it occurred during the course of trick-or-treating. So I know you're a Texan, and I know you know the, the term one-horse town. Woodsboro is a very, very, very small town. You can literally see across the city. And uh, kids were out trick-or-treating, my client being one of them, um, out with a group of friends. And this group was out menacing uh, a number of students that all went to, to various schools there in Woodsboro and looked for my client, found him, and tased him. It's that simple. It occurred out on the street in a residential neighborhood. Okay. Are there photos and video of these kids wearing KKK um, Halloween costumes? Yeah, they're actually both. I viewed the video, and it's really important to say, Roland, that the video corroborates 100% what my client both told law enforcement and what he told me. And as you can imagine, this is a video that was disseminated and immediately deleted by the person who recorded it. So, you know, law enforcement had to do a little bit to find it, but once they found it, I was able to view it, and it does, in fact, corroborate my client's account. Uh, this neighborhood, is it uh, a mixed neighborhood? Is it predominantly white neighborhood? What's the racial makeup of this neighborhood? So the racial makeup is predominantly white and Hispanic. There's a very small uh, percentage of black citizens there. It's very small, what, less than five, less than three, two percent? I couldn't give you the number, but I would be surprised if it were over 5%. It's very small. It tracks Corpus Christi, which is about 6% black citizens, so somewhere thereabouts. Um, okay. So these kids' parents, where in the hell were they? 
I don't know. And what's interesting about it is a number of citizens, primarily white citizens, saw it and were outraged and immediately called the police. And that's been the really the seminal question is how on earth do kids go out trick-or-treating dressed as Klansmen and not be noticed by their own parents? Which begs the question, of course, is this the kind of thing you're learning at home? Because it doesn't seem like you would do that unless you felt you had license to do that, particularly in such a small insular community. Okay, so did they so did they attempt to hit him with a stun gun? Was he actually shocked? Uh, how long did this last? Yeah, he was actually shocked. So the entire encounter, from what I saw, was a little bit over a minute, at least the recorded portion, and he was shocked during the course of that encounter. And uh, are y'all pursuing charges against uh, these these uh, kids for assault? And have they actually been charged? So they haven't been charged yet. Uh, law enforcement is still working the case, but that's exactly what I was doing last week with the prosecutor. I'm a prior prosecutor myself, and I sat down with the prosecutor and delineated to him every single charge I thought was supported here. And what's really important for people to know is that, in, in my opinion, having tried hundreds of cases, this is about as textbook as it gets to the charges that I think should come forward, which are not only an assault charge, but also what's called engaging in organized criminal activity which is essentially a charge that you put on defendants that have colluded together to conspire to commit a crime. So it's, it's a statute that basically codifies the law of parties here in Texas and says, if you combine with other people and you go commit a crime, not only are you guilty of the underlying crime, but you're guilty of a higher level of punishment, the same way you are here when you're guilty of a hate crime, which is what this would constitute under Texas law. Wow, it's an absolutely uh, outlandish story. Uh, and uh, and again, last point, what was the actual date when this happened? So this happened on Halloween night. So here we are more than two weeks later, and they still haven't been charged. They have not been charged yet. Uh, you know, and the worst part, Roland, is I, I know you had a little graphic there. The school had the audacity, the school that they all attend, had the audacity to put out a statement that said they couldn't discipline the students because this occurred off campus. Well, unfortunately for them, I'm a lawyer that actually does my job. And I looked at their school code of conduct, and it specifically prescribes that they can not only suspend, but they can actually expel for conduct that happens off campus. So really, the school's immediate response was the one that uh, infuriated me because it evinced really just a desire to not do anything. Law enforcement taking a little longer doesn't surprise me as much because they want to do the thorough investigation, and we want them to do as thorough an investigation as possible. Wow. Uh, that is uh, certainly uh, incredible there, uh, took, uh, what, what took place there. Uh, Matthew, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much for, for joining us and explaining what took place. Thank you, Roland. Have a good night. All right. Thanks a bunch. You know, the, the, this is the, the kind of stuff, uh, you know, it's amazing when I look at uh, all of these folks out here, um, Eugene, who are who all up in arms over critical race theory, ain't been taught. Uh, when not, not they all mad, not they all mad today uh, because the book, the 1619 Project, came out. Now they all up in arms. Uh, but it's amazing how all those folks ain't said a damn thing about stories like this. And look, they won't. They won't say the damn thing about stories like this because it doesn't fit their narrative, it doesn't rally their base, and it actually forces them to concede a point that hate racism still exists in this country. Um, but look, you know, I'm of the belief that, you know, if let's switch out KKK outfits for a, uh, a, uh, a uh, Muslim garb, and, you know, let's switch out a uh, stun gun with a different device, these, those kids have been charged with terrorism.
And I think that's what happened here. That this is a terrorist attack, a terrorist event, and these kids need to be hit with terrorist charges. You know, you don't throw a no kick KK outfit and then go and attack somebody with a deadly weapon, which a stun gun is. We've seen it time and time again with the police when police deployment against people. So yes, in my eyes, what occurred here is a white rage terrorist incident. And they, and again, uh, Tammy, it's just uh, we're just operating in this world where these people keep saying, "Oh, y'all just too touchy about these things." Who the hell lets their kids wear KKK uniforms? And uh, you know what? Let's call out those parents. That part, that part, you know. And you know, I'm here in Texas as well, and um, I heard about this, and that was the first thing that I thought: where are the parents? And apparently, it was not just um, the one um, individual that was stunned. These people in these KKK costumes allegedly were terrorizing at least five other students that also attended that school. But if we're looking at charges against the individuals that attended the high school and stun the black boy. We also need to be looking at charges against the parents. Uh, only makes sense. Only makes sense, uh, Amakongo. Uh, absolutely. And look, let, let's be real. I, I believe that these students also played in a football game or something a couple of days later. Yep. And so I'm glad the attorney brought up having, right? So I'm glad the attorney brought up ha having read the school policy because schools absolutely, I work in public, private, and charter schools across this country. Schools absolutely hold students accountable for off-campus behavior. And so between the parents doing nothing, the schools doing nothing, two weeks after the fact and student and, and the police are, are dragging their feet, these kids right now are living a scot-free life right now. And look, if they didn't even say anything when they tased this brother, the fact that they're walking around with Klan outfits we're already in hate crime area right now. And so this is really tragic. I'm glad this has been promoted to a national level because we may need to go down there and give some more action to make some things happen. But it seems like at every juncture, people are already starting to drop the ball to protect these boys when a young man was literally tased. We're not just talking about chance of, you know, N-word or this or that, which would be bad enough. Physically assaulted, nothing happening to date. This is ridiculous. Absolutely. All right, folks, hold tight one second. We come back, we'll talk uh, the end of the Blackburn takeover at Howard University. Uh, the students who are protesting uh, have signed an agreement with Howard University administrators. We will tell you exactly what that is when we come back right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay.
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. After 30 days, the Blackburn takeover at Howard University is now over. Today, uh, the students involved in the protest held a news conference that was exclusively covered and live streamed by Black Star Network uh, that detail uh, this particular agreement. Uh, I want to play uh, a large portion of that news conference for you. Uh, and remember, they were protesting housing conditions. Uh, they, were, they were complaining about mold. Uh, rats, roaches, and other issues at Howard University. Here is what they had to say today. Give me a countdown. Five, five, four, three, two. Good morning. Uh, this morning, the Howard University Blackburn protest, student leadership, students executed the remaining portion of a memorandum of understanding with the university. While the terms of the agreement are, specific terms are confidential, it can be said without any hesitation or reservation that the students courageously uh, journeyed uh, on a path towards greater university accountability and transparency and public safety, and that this agreement uh, marks a meeting of minds between them regarding the issues of concern. So while they will not speak specifically about what's in that agreement, I'm going to be turning it over to the three Seminole student leaders during this protest and ask them to give remarks. I'm going to start, please. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much for tuning in and supporting us for the past 33 days. Um, <clears throat> October 12th um, was the day Howard Bison said, enough is enough. After previous demonstrations, the Live Movement National Team, the Young Democratic Socialists of America Howard University chapter, and Bison decided that they would not move until administration understood that our voices matter. We were fed up, we had enough, and we were ready to make change for our beloved Howard University by holding administration accountable by any means necessary. We spent 33 days challenging the Howard University administration. We spent 33 days saying that, that not only did our lives matter, that our voices matter, and our concerns matter. We spent 33 days affirming and fighting for the first class housing that Reverend Jesse Jackson said we were entitled to. We came, we saw, we declared, and we won. We won for Howard students, we won for Howard University, both historic Howard and the future Howard, and we won for our community. We challenged 
the lack of accountability. We challenge the lack of safety, and we challenge the the lack of our ability to even say that there was a problem. And at beaches, everything's included for everyone. Uh, all right, folks. Uh, I'm gonna play that back. Uh, we uh, a tech issue. Okay, go ahead. Take it from now. And hopefully, after I graduate, I can matriculate on the Howard Law. And hopefully, we won't have the same issues because today is a new day for bison everywhere. Today is a new day for the bison sitting at the table and standing around us. Because tomorrow, the struggle continues, but these issues... We, we got what we came for. We got increased. All right, folks, uh, Howard University uh, issued this statement. Uh, they posted this on Twitter. If you could pull it up, please. Uh, Howard University is pleased to announce we have come to an agreement with the students who occupy Blackburn and will share a longer message from Dr. Wayne Frederick on this topic uh, later today. I have not seen uh, that particular uh, statement. Uh, let me uh, want to go to their, uh, uh, go to their um, uh, Twitter page. I want to see if... Um, um, Wayne has released something. Uh, let's see here. Okay, let's see. Do, 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 do. Yes, uh, he did issue a statement. Give me one second, folks. I'm going to pull it up. All righty. He issued a video statement, so uh, let's go ahead and play it. Harriet's wildest dreams. Good afternoon. About a month ago, a group of students began the occupation of the Blackburn building. They did so to raise awareness for their concerns about housing conditions at the university, as well as other issues that they voiced to me and my administration. I am pleased to share with you today that through ongoing dialogue and a desire to hear and address their concerns, the student protesters have agreed to end the Blackburn occupation and leave the building. I also expect non-student protesters to depart the surrounding area and to end the occupation of the campus. This is a welcome development and a necessary conclusion to a challenging few weeks for everyone involved. This type of protest to occupy a building and the negative effect of doing so will felt throughout campus. Protest drives change. I accept and applaud it. I do, however, struggle with a type of protest that jeopardizes student safety, the very thing that students said prompted their concerns. The health and well-being of students is the most important part of my job as president. As I have said before, even one issue in one of our residence halls is too many, and we will continue to remain vigilant in our pledge to maintain safe and best-in-class housing. We have so much more to accomplish together and the future for all of Howard looks very bright. Our Howard Forward Strategic Plan, which was launched in 2019, will continue to guide our path and build upon our success as we transform the academy, research enterprise, and financial strength of the university to be best in class. It's not lost on me that that must also be met with empathy. Our 2020 Campus Master Plan speaks to our strategy to grow and invest in our beloved Hilltop which will continue to improve the campus experiences for students, faculty, and staff. The progress can only be achieved by coming together as one Howard, one Bison. As we close in on the Thanksgiving holiday, I'm encouraged and excited about the work we have accomplished 
and the work we will continue to do together to reinforce our beloved Howard University. We look forward to working collaboratively to address concerns and build a culture where all are heard. I will continue to open the lines of communication and will hold my traditional State of the University address next semester, which has always included an open dialogue with the audience. Building an institution we can all be proud of requires work. Right, folks, uh, that was uh, Wayne Frederick, the president of Howard University. Uh, this had gone on for quite some time, uh, Omakongo, uh, and I mean, obviously, uh, it was uh, constantly being uh, with the social media, national media. A lot of focus was placed on Howard University, uh, and uh, both sides uh, wanted to bring this to a conclusion. And really, it was the alumni gathering. There were alumni who came to Howard on Saturday. Uh, including Newark Mayor Roz Baraka, who played a critical role in brokering this deal. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is great to see, and you know, at the same time, it's just it's just sad, Roland, because should have never come to this. I remember when you, you did the story a few weeks ago, and you were there, and you went inside, and I remember as an undergrad here in D.C., I wasn't a Howard student, but would go there often, and it was just sad to see. And I want to commend these young women leaders who stood strong in front of the university and brought this to national attention. And now that we are here, we just hope that everybody can just get better and stronger from, from this experience because we're talking about our, our babies here and they should never have had to be put in a position where they were not safe. I'm glad that the university did respond as it did, but Howard University has had so much great news over the last you know few months with Felicia Rashad, the Chastity Building, and just, just the, the list, Ta-Nehisi Coates, the list goes on and on. But it seems like during this whole process that the students were neglected. And I'm glad that the students reminded the world that they come first. So kudos to them uh -huh. and the alumni who stood up for them. Tammy, this was a Newark Mayor Roz Baraka on Saturday. Uh, this is what Chuck Modi posted on his Twitter feed. I love how it, how it is responsible for everything that you know I'm, I've been able to do in my life, besides my mother and father. Uh, you know, they deserve all of the credit and Howard University. I'm just going to say that. And protesting was a part of my education at Howard University. Your protesting is a part of your education at Howard University. It is a part of it. It's not, I don't think we're going to have a time when people are not going to protest. I think it's a part of your coming of age at this university, your ability to see the world as it is, and once you begin to understand the world and understand yourself in it, you automatically begin to figure out that it is your duty and your responsibility to change it. And that you can't live in it the way it already exists and it has to change, right? That becomes your responsibility. So protesting is a part of that. So I don't want you to feel like you're doing anything wrong because you're not. What you're doing is in the tradition of thousands of people that came before you, even the people we named the buildings after, were also protesters in, their, in, 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 in many different ways. So I just want you to be clear on that and not be shamed by people who want you to be embarrassed by the fact that you are standing up for what you think is right and they want you to believe that this is against Howard's tradition. No, it is in Howard's tradition that you do this. 
it, uh, Tammy. Uh, Mayor Ros Baraka uh, played a crucial role uh, in going between the students and the administration brokering this deal. Uh, and uh, what you're seeing is not just at Howard University, other students. We talked about Tuskegee, how the students uh, were sick and tired of the conditions with the ban. Tuskegee responded, replaced the band director, and made other changes. Students are making it clear they're spending money on tuition and they want to use their voices. It's amazing, Roland, the fact that these young leaders are using their voices and speaking up, speaking out about the conditions they're facing and demanding change. I am so proud of the students of Howard. You know, before moving back to Texas, I was a senior attorney at DOJ in Washington, D.C. for 10 years. And so many of my friends attended uh, Howard, my mentees um, attended Howard. So to see what those students were able to accomplish and to see their um, alumni rally around them to help bring this to national media attention so that they could get the change they deserve is amazing. It's also amazing that other students at other HBCUs are following suit and using their voices to speak up and protest so that they can have the change that they need. It's so incredibly inspiring to see this younger generation just being very courageous. Eugene? Look, um... That video was hard to watch, right? I mean, that video made Travis Scott's video like look like golden PR. Um, this comes down to be really simple. The students won the PR font, so now the university actually has to make actually has to take actual action. Uh, the words fall on deaf ears when you come in and you say, "Oh, the health and safety of the students matter, and you know we care about how they protest and protest in a way that doesn't, you know." Uh, uh, put in jeopardy health and safety of people. Well, they would be protesting if, you know, these problems weren't persistent problems. They aren't new problems, but they're persistent problems. Um, and so, you know, at this point in time, um, I'm glad there's a, there's a resolution. I'm glad there's a settlement. I'm glad that there's an understanding. Um, but, you know, it's time for action. Um, and if, you know, this president and this board can't take proper action or, you know, they aren't or they're going to uh, take negligent action, then they'll all be resigned and tossed out. Um, you, know, you can't protect the quote-unquote greatness and legacy of an institution if its current day leaders are literally tarnishing that institution. Because at the end of the day, these universities will not exist without the students. No, well, students paying tuition. Well, I tell you, uh, and also those uh, the folks who were over the housing, uh, as well as other areas, they also have been under intense pressure as well. And so uh, we'll see what happens next. Got to go to break. We come back. What happened today uh, in the case of three white men on trial for killing Amar Arbery? Their white defense attorney continues to antagonize and piss off black preachers. We'll discuss that next on Roller Button Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really. 
Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. She ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Hi, I'm Gavin Houston. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Eee! Ah, uh, the white attorney for the three white men uh, on trial for killing him on Arbery. He continues to white. That's what he's doing. Today, he actually... <laughs> y'all, they tried to actually get the judge to declare a mistrial. Not because something the prosecution was doing. Not some jury misconduct. Because Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., was sitting in the courtroom. Watch this mess. We need to move for a mistrial. I move for a mistrial. Based on? Based on the presence of people in the courtroom and the public well, gallery. Your Honor, I have to stop for my moment. We have a witness now on the stand. Okay, ma'am, if you go ahead and sit down, thank you. actually very much appreciate the court helping me maintain a record on this. We formally move for a mistrial under the 5th, 6th, and 14th Amendments of the U.S. Constitution, which parallel provisions of the Constitution of the State of Georgia. We contend that the atmosphere of the trial, both inside and outside the courtroom, at this point has deprived Mr. Bryan of his right to a fair trial. I understand that co-counsel vehemently disagree on some, on some aspects of that motion, and if they don't want to join, that, that's their business. But I represent Mr. Bryan, and my concern, Your Honor, notwithstanding what in my observation would be extraordinary efforts on the part of the court to avoid anything that would interfere uh, with the right of these defendants to a fair trial, at the same time, in extraordinary cases like this, additional steps have to be taken. We have not secured the front of this courthouse. The Transformative Justice Coalition still flies their banner virtually every day outside in what should be protected grounds. Your Honor, we have had numerous instances during jury, several instances during jury selection of nonverbal communications between the victim's family and jurors or from juror to the victim's family. We've had several emotional outbursts during the trial of this case, notwithstanding the substantial efforts of the court to ensure that they don't take place. And we have had civil rights icon sitting in here and what the civil rights community contends is a quote-unquote test case for civil rights in the United States. Eyeballing these jurors, including one today with his mask down, which the court doesn't want to make part of the record, under oh. Supreme... I you just took that didn't make part of the record. Thank you. Yeah, I, I rephrase. You, you made it part of the record. Well, until the court acknowledges it, it's not part of the record. Keep going, Mr. Coffey. Your Honor, the case law out there in mob cases and other cases demonstrates all the ways that presence in a gallery can influence jurors in a case. And I certainly don't mean to suggest that 
Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson or any other pastor belong to a mob, but at the same time, we are talking about organized behavior by whoever outside the courthouse leading up to this case, where we have all these community leaders fearful that the city's going to burn down. This isn't a mob case. If you testify against a gangster, they might burn your house down. They might bring your business down. They're not going to burn your whole city down. And that is the concern that I believe jurors have expressed during the voir dire process uh, in that uh, a county commissioner, a mayor, school board member, uh, a bunch of pastors in this community, both black and white, have been talking about. So in that context, we believe the totality of the circumstances, which is what this court looks at under Shepard v. Maxwell, under the totality of circumstances, this trial has been sufficiently infected, uh, notwithstanding the best efforts of the court, to the point where Mr. Brown's ability to receive a fair trial has become an open question. We think that line's been crossed. Uh, the court may see it differently, but we've, we've made that for purposes of the record. All right, it's uh, in this court's discretion with regard to uh, any outburst in the courtroom. Um, taken into consideration as well as the defendant's motion for a mistrial. Um, so I'm citing to a couple cases. Uh, for, let's see, Forney, I think it's Forney versus State, 255 Georgia 316, which actually recognizes that emotions are neither unreasonable nor unexpected during a murder trial. And the demonstrations and outbursts which occurred during the course of the trial are matters within the court's discretion to evaluate. Uh, the court heard exactly what I described on the record, decided to remove the jury briefly, and it was ready to get started. Based on that outburst, the court is not uh, granting a mistrial. As to the totality of the circumstances argument, which I think is the second argument that was presented by Mr. Goff, um, that gets back to what I'm starting to watch very carefully as far as what's going on in this courtroom. Uh, with the jury, as well as the arguments that are being made by counsel. I'll point out that a number of times during jury selection, it was raised that jurors were being influenced by individuals outside the court. And I think it was either four or five jurors were asked specifically whether or not they were influenced in some way by what was going on outside the courtroom. Uh, and they were not. There was no, actually, if I remember correctly, they didn't even recognize or see what was going on outside the courtroom. Uh, and as counsel are aware, because I have briefed counsel, there are steps being taken by the court during the jury trial to ensure that uh, jurors are not influenced by anything happening around the courthouse. So then we start getting into what we have now with individual members uh, or ind individuals coming into the courtroom. I will say that is directly in response, Mr. Goff, to statements you made, which I find reprehensible. Uh, these, the Colonel Sanders statement you made last week, I would suggest maybe something that has influenced what is going on here. Um, in response to that, and to his credit, Mr. Sheffield made some comments, but did say, you know, come one, come all. Um, and so now the court is faced with balancing a lot of things going on outside this courtroom and doing it in a way that respects members of the public's right to be in the courtroom, as well as a f what's, what I'm trying to put out there is a fair trial, right? So you need to understand, everybody, that your words in this courtroom have an impact on a lot of what's going on. And so my measured response at this point is to balance all of that out 
and try to move forward with the trial. I'm not granting a mistrial at this point based on these arguments that are being made because I think well, I'm not granting a mistrial at this point based on the arguments that have been made. So the white attorney caused the whole uproar and he's not complaining about the uproar. Joining us now is one of the attorneys for uh, the Alberta family, uh, Lee Merritt Lee. This is this is be, beyond laughable to uh, to listen to listen to this uh, man, uh, and, and, and he made some other comments where, well, Reverend Jackson, he doesn't, you know, why does the Aubrey family need him praying with them? They've got local pastors who can pray with him. And then for him to drop in here, oh, people are afraid they're going to burn the town down. It's going to be right. He, this white attorney is throwing out every racist thought, every racist thing he can think of in order to get these racists off for killing Ahmaud Arbery. No, that's exactly it. On the, on the one hand, they're arguing that Wanda should be strong enough to sort of deal with seeing the grisly details of her son's murder by herself uh, so be, be, uh, without making any outbursts because a part of the motion to dismiss uh, the, the, the trial or a motion for a mistrial today uh, included the fact that she let out a slight whimper uh, when uh, a picture of Ahmad was introduced into evidence. And so while she's dealing with this very difficult thing, they're saying that she not only has, does she have to deal with it quietly, she should also have to deal with it alone uh, and without the support of the, 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 our full community. It's just, it's, it's beyond, it used to be cute. You know, the, uh, it's, it's no longer cute. This this person is harassing a grieving mother during the murder trial of her son. Well, and, and the thing that, that's just crazy to me is, well, you know, you know, why can't she get a local pastor to pray with her? Why does she need Reverend Jack? I mean, okay, he was eyeballing a juror. Right, eyeballing a juror. Nonverbal communications being delayed. Okay, so the jury walks in. If the jury walks in that way, is Reverend supposed to do this here? Turn away and don't look at the jury? And if you really look at the breakdown of the courtroom, there are three roles reserved for the three defendants in their family. Wanda's role is in the very back of the courtroom. So she she occupies the, the last role with Marcus Arbery, Ahmad's, Ahmad's dad, and they each get one person to come in the courtroom with them. Typically, it's one of the attorneys in the case so, so that we gather all the evidence for the federal suit. And then there's a pastor who's helping with them with the, the grieving process. But in front of them is the mother of the men who murdered their, their, their her son, is the wives, the children. And then directly in front of them is, is of course, defense table with Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, uh, Roddy uh, Bryan sitting there, the men who actually murdered her son, just feet away from her. Um, and she's supposed to deal with all of this uh, with no support and no noise. Well, um... I don't know what his attorney thinks, but guess what? Uh, he's about to see a whole bunch of black preachers yeah. Uh, yeah. and black people on Thursday at 11 a.m. Uh, we are going to be in Brunswick, Georgia as well, live streaming uh, that news conference. Uh, they're expecting minimum 100 black preachers. Uh, I'm hearing it could be as high as two or 300 who show up in Brunswick, Georgia as a major show of force. And so if this, uh, if this judge uh, wanted to see some black preachers, he's about to get his wish.
enroll in the app too. I, I've been speaking to Al about that. There are 200 confirmed pastors coming um, so far, and we expect that number to grow. We just want to emphasize as people come to the city of Brunswick, we encourage you to come stand with this family. Just know this is a, a solemn gathering. Uh, the media will be asking a lot of questions, and they're, they're going to be looking for sound bites that appear to intimidate the jury. So we're, we're asking everyone as they come to know that we're coming to grieve together with the family of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, we're not really there to engage the media and to the extent that we do, our message is the same. We're here as a show of support. We have every right to support and stand with a grieving family and a community uh, during you know, one of the most important trials of the, of the century. Uh, well, we will certainly uh, be there with our cameras as well. Lee Merritt, we sure to appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It, it really is is, is in, in, incredible uh, to listen uh, to, to, to that white attorney, uh, Tammy, uh, make those comments and specifically singling out black preachers, black preachers. There are, other, there are white preachers. There, 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 are, there, are, there are Jewish rabbis who have been standing with this family. But no, no, no. It's black preachers don't want the black preachers in court. You know what, Roland, you are absolutely correct. And this is the same attorney who earlier in the trial, he was talking about during jury selection, he, he mentioned how there were not enough pretty much uneducated white men on the jury um, because the jury needed to represent a cross-section of the defendant's peers. And he alluded to some some of the arguments that you know black people make whenever you know we have been faced with all white juries and, and having these very egregious types of trials against us and he's trying to flip it so to speak uh, to cater his narrative for his white defendant um, and he's the attorney the one that we saw the clip of that's the attorney for Roddy and just so everyone understands and remembers, Roddy is the one who recorded um, the very gruesome murder of Mr. Arbery um, by Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael. That's the father and the son. Um, but this is ridiculous. And the attorney um, should be feeling very embarrassed because I believe that the judge's response to this motion for a mistrial was extremely um, proper. Um, the judge has been coming across as fair and impartial and really has been trying to make sure that the trial is focused on both sides being able to present evidence and the jury being able to absorb that evidence and deliberate and come back with a verdict without any distractions. And I think this lawyer here, based off of the judge's response, the lawyer himself is the distraction at this point. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, Eugene Amakongo, I, I just want to play for you, again, even more insulting comments uh, that Kevin Gold said as Reverend Jackson sat in the courtroom. Listen to this. The issue that Ray brought up previously, yes. how many pastors does the Arbery family have? Um, we had the Reverend Al Sharpton here earlier, uh, last week. And I'm not keeping track, and I think the court has indicated the court doesn't intend to ask anyone to keep track of who was in the gallery. Um, but I don't know who Mr. Jackson, Reverend Jackson, is pastoring here. Um, my understanding is, and I, I was given names, that uh, the Arbery family have local pastors. They also have attorneys. Mr. Arbery, Marcus, 
has a team of lawyers to comfort him through these proceedings. Certainly, Ms. Cooper has been amply comforted by her legal counsel. Uh, and we are concerned about whether it's conscious or unconscious, the impact of their presence with respect to the jury and with respect to the proceedings in this case. And I guess the next question is, which pastor is next? Is Raphael Warnock going to make it be the next person appearing this afternoon? We don't know. Your Honor, I would submit, with all respect to the Reverend Jesse Jackson, that this is no different than bringing in police officers or uniformed prison guards in a small town where a young black man has been accused of assaulting a law enforcement officer or corrections officer. As I have noted before, the city of Brunswick is indeed a fishbowl. Your Honor, I understand that the court, maybe I misunderstood the court the other day, but I think the court had indicated it was the court's understanding or assumption that um, the Arbery family is giving up seats uh, in the public gallery so that these gentlemen may be present. With all due respect, Your Honor, the seats in the public gallery of a courtroom are not like courtside seats at a Lakers game. There are no First Amendment rights in the public gallery of a courtroom. There is no standing of any particular individual to be present in the public gallery of a courtroom. And there is no reason for these prominent icons in the civil rights movement to be here. This is a case that has been postured in so, so here's what's a trip to me, Amakongo. He, he, he's whining the complaint. Did you see the white woman who was in front of Reverend Jackson? Now, you heard Lee Merritt say that the other roles reserved for other family members. That white woman's like, this, what the hell is this fool doing? <laughs> you heard the judge also say, your other counsel, they disagree with you. The other, the other guy's like, man, if you don't sit your ass down, you about to make this thing worse for us. It was sad, man. It, you know, well, first of all, on a good note, you know, I got to give props. It just kind of connects to your last segment, quite honestly, because to see the young people protesting and to see our elders, Reverend Jackson, just shows that, you know, we're in a really good space of where we're going and where we've been. So I wanted to, to give a shout out as it relates to that. But I feel like this, this lawyer, sort of like with the Rittenhouse judge, I feel like these guys are angling to be like their next Fox show contributors right now in terms of what they're doing. But I am a little bit concerned, Roland, that his, his antics are really going to influence this jury. Um, I, you know, he said, uh, to go to what Tammy was saying earlier, we need more Bubba's, you know, on, on the jury. And, and I feel like what he's doing might be successful. And that's the part that kind of scares me because this judge right. is not being assertive enough and shutting him down. Well, here's the deal. Yes, he he's is. making the yes, arguments outside the presence of the jury, uh, but what he's also doing with the constant interrupting Eugene it does have an impact as well. He wants to disrupt the flow uh, of the trial. Uh, and and look, and so and what's going to happen on Thursday, you're going to have a show of force, and he's going to be able to say, see, see, look at all these preachers here. Well, you open that can of worms, deal with it. Look, mess around. I know. And that's what's going to happen here. Um, look, the thing is this. This defense attorney has pretty much let us know that he's a racist above racist above racist, right? And for what it's worth, he's running the uh, conservative talk radio playbook 
uh, demonized Jesse Jackson, demonized Al Sharpton, uh, even brought in Raphael Warnock. I think, look, the next person to probably come comfort this family at the court case should be Senator Warnock. Um, you know, so the thing is this, um, you know, this, I think this judge is proper and, and, uh, denying the mistrial. There's been nothing here to, uh, warrant a mistrial. If anything, it's been the defense's, uh, antics and tactics of trying to break the flow of the trial, trying to break the flow of the information, uh, being, uh, delivered to the jurors. And so, um, look, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the 200 plus pastors, uh, show up in force and, um, let's see what, you know, this, uh, you know, racist defense attorney that is showing his college every day in his courtroom has to say about that. Uh, indeed. All right, folks, real quick before I go to a break, uh, the latest in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the judge in that case has dropped the misdemeanor gun charge uh, against Kyle Rittenhouse. George Bruce Schroeder dismissed one of the seven counts as the defense argued Rittenhouse's AR-15 was longer than the, le than the illegal length of 16 inches, thus making it legal for the team to have a gun in Wisconsin. In closing arguments today, the defense says the victim deserved to be killed because of his actions, but the prosecution argued that Rittenhouse House was not acting in self-defense when he committed the crimes. It has also instructed you on provocation. You cannot hide behind self-defense if you provoked the incident. If you created the danger, you forfeit the right to self-defense. By bringing that gun, aiming it at people, threatening people's lives, the defendant provoked everything. And if he does that, he has to exhaust all reasonable means to avoid a confrontation. All reasonable means. So if Joseph Rosenbaum's running at him, Joseph Rosenbaum is no threat to his life. And not only is the defendant expected to run, he's expected to yell, push, shove that rag doll around, run back for help, call 911, call for help, do all sorts of other things besides just turn and fire four shots. Kyle shot Joseph Rosenbaum to stop a threat to his person. And I'm glad he shot him because if Joseph Rosenbaum had got that gun, I don't for a minute believe he wouldn't have used it against somebody else. He was irrational and crazy. Rittenhouse killed two men and gravely injured another doing anti-racist and protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin on August 20th, 25th, 2020. Uh, we'll keep you updated as the jury begins deliberations. Um, a federal court has rejected the appeal for Oklahoma inmate Julius Jones and three other death row inmates set to face execution um, in the next few months. Uh, Jones is scheduled to die on this week, this Thursday, unless Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt rules to grant clemency uh, in his particular case. The Oklahoma inmate has received recommendations from the Oklahoma Parole Board for clemency and commutation, not once but twice. However, Stitt has not said a word on the case. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Better O'Rourke. Mm, is he running for governor of Texas? He makes his announcement. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. How y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Former U.S. Congressman, as well as U.S. Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke, he says he is ready to challenge Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, in the race next year. He made the announcement official today. I'm running for governor, and I want to tell you why. This past February, when the electricity grid failed and millions of our fellow Texans were without power, which meant that the lights wouldn't turn on, the heat wouldn't run, and pretty soon their pipes froze and the water stopped flowing, they were abandoned by those who were elected to serve and look out for them. It's a symptom of a much larger problem that we have in Texas right now. Those in positions of public trust have stopped listening to, serving, and paying attention to, and trusting the people of Texas. And so they're not focused on the things that we really want them to do, like making sure that we have a functioning electricity grid, or that we're creating the best jobs in America right here in Texas, or that we have world-class schools, or that we make progress on the things that most of us actually agree on, like expanding Medicaid or legalizing marijuana. Instead, they're focusing on the kind of extremist policies uh, around abortion or permitless carry or even in our schools that really only divide us and keep us apart and stop us from working together on the truly big things that we want to achieve for one another. It's a really small vision for such a big state, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I know that together we can get back to being big again. Because I saw that in February when the electricity grid failed and those in power failed all of us. It was the people of Texas who were willing to put their differences behind them and get to work doing the job at hand, which meant helping our fellow Texans get through that crisis. We did this out of a sense of duty and responsibility to one another. Now imagine if the governor of Texas felt that same way. Well, there's something that you and I can do about that. I want you to be part of this campaign. And whether that begins today with a campaign contribution or signing up for a volunteer shift or just committing yourself to talking with your friends and family about how important this election is, I want you on the team and I want to win this with you and for you and for all the people of Texas. I'm looking forward to seeing you out there on the campaign trail. Thank you. Well, Tammy, uh, Greg Abbott is facing uh, challenges uh, in his own party. Uh, a lot of people have been very unhappy with uh, him in the state when it comes to the pandemic response, but also uh, not allowing folks to invoke their own mask mandates. And so uh, we know Beto can raise a whole lot of money. The question is, can he rally uh, Texas Democrats and put them over the hump to beat Greg Abbott? Your thoughts? You know... <laughs> As a fellow Texan, Roland, um, you know, we all felt Beto O'Rourke's impact whenever he ran in 2018 against Ted Cruz and narrowly lost to him. So I think that Texas Democrats really need to rally around and support this campaign for a governor, for this Democratic candidate, so that we can actually see some wins and a success of having him beat Greg Abbott, because a lot of Texans, um, including Republicans, have been, as you mentioned, very uh, disappointed with the way Greg Abbott handled 
not only the winter storm in February, which paralyzed the state of Texas. I don't think that people truly understand how bad it was, how cold it was, and how many days we were without power. Um, and that impacted not only Democrats, but also Republicans. And we saw a lot of bipartisan efforts being made. But I think that because the Republicans were unhappy with um, Greg Abbott's response. And they are no longer really liking this very extreme divisiveness from the Trump era. They kind of want to distance themselves from that. Gotcha. And he still is kind of reminiscent to that. I think that um, there's going to be a lot of um, support. And as long as the Texas Democrats rally around and get it together, we can turn Texas blue. Uh, bottom line here, uh, Eugene, it's about raising lots of money, being able to rally the base. Uh, he came within 2.5 points of beating uh, Ted Cruz. Uh, he's got his work cut out for him. Uh, but uh, again, he has the advantage of having uh, a lot of people who want to see him win and the ability to raise lots of money. Look, he'll be able to raise money. He'll be able to organize people. He has a message. The question is, can he grab enough voters to cross over to win, to win the election? Um, you know, the fun stuff of uh, hard right red meat issues are, are fun, but they don't matter if my house is cold in the dead of winter because of incompetency or that I don't have flowing water coming in because of incompetency. You know, when my basic needs are affected by somebody that is incompetent or provides incompetent leadership or decides to skip off to Cancun during the middle of a crisis, um, you know, I don't care about any of the other fun stuff when my survival's at stake. And I think that, you know, the one smart thing Baylor's already done is lead off with the issue of, uh, of uh, you know, what happened during a winter storm last year when the utilities essentially shut off, not because somebody didn't pay their bill, but because the government failed their people. Uh, and look, the thing here on Congo, that's how you go after them. And you say, you fail. And then they tried to pass on the cost to fix the problem to the taxpayers. Yeah. yeah. Abbott, yep. look, you keep hitting that, that could resonate with voters. Absolutely. That was a very Biden-esque message from Beto, because we know that people are going to try to paint him as an extreme with his past comments about guns and so on and so forth. And look, one of the things he has going for him is these infrastructure bills. People, he's going to be able to talk about, this is what's happening. I'm going to help continue these programs that you're starting to see come to our state. And I believe that if he continues on this kind of moderate-style path, and as long as we protect the voting rights of the people of Texas and across the country, he has a chance of winning that next election. All right, folks. So tight. One second. Got to go to break. We come back. Live win. Talk about working out for your mental health. That's next at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Alexa. Play our favorite song again. Okay. I only have for you. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me, Me too. too. Hey. 
Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you. All of you. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? It's Kim Whitley. Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roller Martin, Unfiltered. <laughs> Folks, many people work out because they want to improve their physical health, improve their body. But how does it impact your mental health? Uh, my man Dooley out of Atlanta joins us right now. Dooley, how you doing? All right, I think you're on mute. Are you on mute? Talk. Talk, Dooley. Dooley, can you hear me? Yeah, how you doing, Ron? I can hear you, man. There you go. There you go. Uh, you can't. You could help us by taking that awful hat off. That's another story. Oh man, come uh, on, man, bro. It's my week, bro. It's my week. But what's that? My whole week. What do you mean your whole week? Uh, come on, man. Obviously, you know. I don't. Obviously, you know what this week is. I don't. It's the greatest fraternities in the world, Founders Day, and that's where I got this hat on for, Roland. Oh, I think you're greatly confused. Because um, I thought you said it's—I thought you said it's the week. I mean, it is a great week, considering my birthday was yesterday. So <laughs> that's probably why I say great week. But trust me, it is not because that's why you share it with us. That's why you share it with it us. Man. Not great. It's, it's not because of that youth group that you belong to. All right, <laughs> uh, yeah, that junior, that junior, that junior fraternity. All right, uh, so uh, let's talk about this here—the idea of uh, working out for your mental health. Uh, how mm -hmm. so? Well, you think about it, man. Like, we're talking about working out and improving the mood. We're talking about blood circulation. We're talking about all things flowing properly. That's why I said working out, and you know this to be true. Like I said, as you get older and as we start and stop being able to produce and do certain things, you got to find you something, man, to get that body flowing, get some circulation. Like, yeah, I think some, everybody waking up stiff and sore and all that. That's why working out, keeping that body moving is so important, brother. Well, and, and one, look, I know some people who, I mean, they, they say, look, it allows them to step away. Uh, it allows them uh, to, 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 free, to, to, yeah, to free their mind up, uh, you know, by working out. Uh, some do it by walking, by being able to, you know, to walk outdoors. Uh, yep. Because also the stress, the stress levels that, that, that with is. us uh, also impact uh, people have depression. People are, they have anxiety. And so I know many who say working out matters. Yeah, and you think about it, you look at like the rates now, I'm sure that number has quadrupled since the pandemic. And that's why I was telling people when, when we was confined to the house for so long then, and you look at it like, if you was to pull some numbers, I had some earlier too, I should have brought them. But you, like that, that number is almost quadrupled when you start thinking about anxiety and depression. So that, the number one way to free that up is like you just said, man, getting active, working out, getting outside, and keeping that body moving. Uh, it, it absolutely does matter. Uh, Eugene, you, you were doing that for a while, uh, beating back uh, your diabetes. Was it uh, important for your mental health? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it was extremely important for mental health. Uh, you know, without it, probably be able to sit here and uh, go back and forth with you a couple years later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, question, Tammy, I'm a Congo. What you got for Dooley? Well, you know, 
as someone who has a degree in exercise science from the University of Houston, I agree with everything that you're saying. Yeah, hold on, you got a degree um, in, hold on, hold on, hold on, girl. How many jobs you got? You got a degree in you know, exercise science, you a public sure attorney, you ran mm -hmm. for Congress. How many jobs you got? Sure that girl's credentials is long. My credentials are a CVS receipt. Theirs is a business card. Oh She's done a lot of God. stuff. That's oh, H-Town, hold it down. That's that H-Town. You know what I'm saying? I exercise science. <laughs> exercise science from the University of Houston. Sure did. I was a personal trainer before I went to chiropractic oh. school. Sure did. Mm-hmm. But only did Absolutely. that for one year. <laughs> you only did it for one year. What happened? They drove oh. you crazy? Absolutely. Listen, back in... <laughs> Like, you know what? There's a lot of memorizing. Let me go to law school. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. What's your question or statement for Dooley? Go ahead. Dooley. So, what types of exercises do you recommend for us busy professionals? That's why you got. You have to find some online. But like I said, you're not gonna have time to get up in the gym. You very rarely have time to get leave the office. So you throw a thing about you find some online. You can literally sit at your desk with your stapler, your phone, your water bottle, and get a complete workout in. You just got to find something to stimulate your brain. Like I said, you're sitting there, you're doing the same things. You got to find something to, man, to challenge you. Like I said, physically, I literally can draw a workout up, which, yep, keep going, bro. <laughs> Let's keep going. And then go out to the side now. You give me 100 of those, after that 99, well, you're going to be feeling it. Hold on, so you got to find you something that, that fits your up. schedule. I got a bottle, bottle of water, some hand sanitizer. Just go out. Oh, Lord. <laughs> give me a wide shot. Give me a wide shot, Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, form is a little off. Desk, use the hand sanitizer and use some water. I love it. I love it. That's all you need. That's all you need. Hey, matter of fact, bro, just hold it. Just hold it. Just hold it. Just hold it. Black power. Amen. There we go. <laughs> oh, Macago, what you got? So what what would you say, Dooley? First of all, it's just awesome with everything that you that you're doing. What would you suggest for some dietary changes for people who are just getting into working out? What are some of the things they should be looking at either dropping or consuming less of on their journey? And like we were talking earlier, uh, I always tell people, we, 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 do, we do it blood type based. You got to do what works for you. Like I can sit up here and tell you what works for me. I'm O positive blood type. But you need to dig more to and what, like, what's flowing through your body. That's what we made up of our blood types. So you need to eat based off your blood type. You need to diet based off your blood type. You need to find out what things your body are rejecting and things your body are retaining. And that's how you determine what you should and shouldn't be eating. I never tell people to eat or drink what I eat or drink. Because what I eat or drink ain't going to make you shit, like I always tell people. But I always tell people, let's eat based off what you got going on in your life, what you got going on with your blood type. And let's base it off that. All right, then. So, again, folks, uh, your mental health is important. Uh, and so please, uh, if you're going to exercise, don't do it just for physical. Also do it for you to be able uh, yep. to get out and, and keep it straight. Uh, all right, Dooley, where can people reach you? At Effect Fitness on Instagram, at Effect Fitness on Facebook. And if you get a chance, man, go download our app, Effect On Demand. Best app we got. Best so, thing smoking. So last question for you. Okay, so what in the hell I do if I'm using my water bottle to work out, but then I finish drinking it? Now you need another water bottle. <laughs> I mean, do I do I need to do pinky raises? Yeah, keep keep going. <laughs> Just keep going. All right, Julie, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right, man.
All right, Tammy, Eugene, uh, Macago, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, on today's panel. Uh, folks, if y'all want to support what we do, please uh, download the Black Star Network app. Uh, so I had a brother sent me a tweet just a moment ago. Uh, he said, man, Twitter was buffering, but I'm glad I got the Black Star Network app. See, I told y'all. See, y'all ain't got to worry about no Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Download the app. You can watch the show that way. Uh, and we're about to launch some new shows, so you definitely want to do that. All platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, uh, Xbox, Samsung, Amazon Fire TV as well. Come on, come on, come on. Anthony, come on, show the graphic. Come on, come on, let's go. I already ran through all of them already, let's go. All right, y'all, so that's how you download the app right there. You can also support our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show. Uh, Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. Zell, rolling at RollingSmartin.com. Rolling at RollingMartinUnfiltered.com. Folks, that is it for us. Uh, don't forget, we're going to be in Brunswick, Georgia on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, and I'm in New York City on Friday. Crazy busy week. Uh, so we appreciate it again. Your dollars make, makes it possible support the show. Let me also thank the partners, uh, our, our, our advertising partners of Verizon. Just started today. Thank you very much, Verizon. We've got Amazon, Buick, and Nissan. Thank you so very much as well. I appreciate those companies that support Black-owned media. Why? Because hashtag Black-owned media matters. Uh, I will see y'all tomorrow right here. Roland Martin Unfiltered, Black Star Network. Holla! Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man. <laughs> Owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't.
commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig? Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.